Hello, I'm Patrick Schmidt, and welcome to the Drinks Business Podcast. Now, if there's a hot topic in the fine wine trade at present, it's Bordeaux. But I'm not talking about the great chateau of this famous French region. No, I'm talking about the great wine estates from outside Bordeaux, or to use the French term, or Bordeaux. And the reason why we're talking about them in connection with Bordeaux is because such properties are increasingly opting to sell through Bordeaux. And when I say sell through Bordeaux, I mean via its distribution system, which is called La Place de Bordeaux. Now, importantly, distributing wines to the world through Bordeaux has become popular, so much so that almost every serious high-end wine label is considering Bordeaux's system of distribution. But how does it work? What are its strengths and weaknesses? Thankfully, I have someone to answer these questions and many more, someone who knows the system inside out, and that's our Bordeaux correspondent, Colin Hay. Now, Colin, just before I hand over to you, um, I just would really be grateful if you could tell our listeners, well, first of all, apart from writing about fine wine and above all Bordeaux, um, I believe that this is just a hobby, your day job is, well, rather more highbrow. You're a professor of political science at Sciences Po in Paris. So, first of all, um, for those that don't know you, why wine writing and why within that did you choose to specialise uh, in Bordeaux? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I've been a wine lover for a long time. Um, and I suppose as a wine lover, I decided I could get good value for money or bad value for money. And to get good value for money, I needed to learn a little bit more about uh, a region that I, li- I liked, I loved. Uh, that was Bordeaux. So I sort of, from the start, Bordeaux was a kind of specialism, but I was very much, as the French would say, an amateur, a wine lover rather than anything. But I suppose eventually as an academic, I came to use wine markets, in fact, as an, as examples in, in academic papers that I wrote. And that started a kind of a kind of interest which turned into what I now do. My hobbies kind of become uh, my pleasure in the sense that, that writing for the drinks business on Bordeaux and La Place de Bordeaux uh, is, 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 is a fabulous opportunity for me. I have to pinch myself sometimes as I go into these tastings with these great chateaus, these great properties uh, and all the rest of it but I've tried to bring that kind of academic interest in the institutions of Bordeaux the functioning of La Place de Bordeaux how the market operates into into my wine writing so it's a I don't I don't write about Bordeaux in perhaps the same way as everyone else we're going to go on to La Place but what I do find interesting about your work is that you do approach it from an academic perspective as I would expect which is very useful from the drinks business's perspective as well but when you write your tasting notes you convey such a love about wine that as soon as I read them if I know you like it I want to reach for the bottle which I think is a, is a rare and very important talent now well, I thank um, you I just, that's, that's nice of you to say so I mean I, I, I think I mean I think you're right I try to combine two things I mean the first thing as a passionate wine lover it's very difficult not to convey my enthusiasm and I do but at the same time, the kind of conversations I have with the properties, I think, is one in which actually there it's a kind of it's a it's a bilateral conversation. They're interested in what I have to say about the market too, and that develops a kind of interesting exchange. And I think I learn a lot from them, and even the questions they pose of me actually, and uh, and the two together work fantastically well. I think. Yeah. Good. So to start, um, I'm a great wine property owner uh, producing a, an expensive top-end, let's say, Cabernet blend from, I don't know, the Alto Maipo in Chile. 
Uh, I'm thinking of listing my wine on mm. Laplace. Now, could you please tell us how Laplace de Bordeaux works? Well, Laplace de Bordeaux traditionally, and indeed for these all Bordeaux, beyond Bordeaux wines too, is essentially a tripartite structure. So three bits. There's the property, your 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 your, your property producing this top-end wine. Uh, there's the négociant and there's the courtier. Um, historically, um, the, the courtier exists, and this is the strangest function, as a kind of go-between, an intermediary between the chateau, the property, uh, and the grubby négociant in the chateau's eyes. And this is the reason why they wanted an intermediary. Uh, the um, the aristocracy of the chateaus didn't really want to touch the flesh of the grubby merchant and therefore had an intermediary in the form of the courtier. So the so in a sense, La Place de Bordeaux has always had this relationship where the property produces the wine but doesn't sell the wine and it has an agent uh, who intermediates the transaction between the négociants, plural, who sell the wine throughout the world in a way. And what we see with all Bordeaux is the extension of that beyond the Bordeaux properties themselves. Um, the history of that itself is interesting. It started in the mid to late 1990s with Almaviva first. Almaviva, of course, being linked to Mouton Rothschild and, and then Opus One as well. So, so originally, this was an extension of the opportunity to use La Place de Bordeaux for wines which had an inside track because they were linked to Bordeaux properties. Top top Bordeaux properties, but from 2009 onwards, with Massetto releasing on La Place, we see the extension of this beyond those Bordeaux-linked properties uh, to uh, to to the world uh, in, in a way. And uh, but the final step in that is more recent. It's the last three or four years in which there's been a kind of proliferation of the number of courtiers offering their services to bring these wines to La Place, and there are now two campaigns in March and September, uh, and in this September's campaign, uh, over 100, 100 wines released uh, through, through La Place de Bordeaux. You mentioned three years ago this, this kind of explosion in, in the number of, of properties producers from outside Bordeaux that choose to distribute via La Place de Bordeaux. Mm. Was there a catalyst? Um, I think... I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. I think... There were probably several catalysts. I think there was the sense that there were a number of examples of wines which had existed on La Place, like Massetto, in fact. But Massetto is probably the best example, in a way, and the one that's most often cited, I think, as a success story. So Massetto went from a tiny production to a rather more significant production over time, and the price since 2009 has increased stratospherically. So there was the argument and a growing recognition that, through Laplace, wines which were coveted would become more coveted, and they would become more 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 famous in a way through being linked to Laplace, uh, but also that Laplace through the negotiation had the capacity to bring the wine to a wider market, a wider potential market, or if you like, to be able to put a bottle of uh, of wine in a wine lover's hand, regardless. 
uh, of where they lived. Um, and that, that wasn't that hadn't been the case uh, when Masetto, linked to one liar, had relied on a more tra- traditional uh, distribution structure. So there was a there was there was a sense probably three or four years ago uh, that there were a number of properties for which you could tell the same story. Uh, there was also, as I said, uh, two or three new courtiers who came to Laplace as well and offered their services. Uh, and there was much more of a sense of a beginning of a process in which Bordeaux went to those properties, sought them out, and encouraged them to come to Laplace. And I think that's contributed towards the size of the offering that we now see. Okay, so just to understand, so the traditional model you would have had um, would be what a single importer model in each country versus La Place de Bordeaux, the distribution yeah. network. What, what is it that you get when you make that switch uh, just in, um, in, in stark terms? It- it's it's interesting, and, and, and I, I actually immediately you pose that question to me. It it reminds me of another reason for why this has grown quite a lot, and that's actually COVID. If you have a single importer, single distributor model for each country, and you're let's say a, a Barolo producer, Barolo is a good region because the global demand for Barolo has been increasing or was increasing very significantly over the last 15, 20 years or so. Lots of lots of enthusiasm. These are tiny properties typically, um, and and they would have to manage their distribution system from from within the property itself. So two or three family members, uh, one of them may be working on 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 questions of logistics and distribution or whatever. Um, you can't have a very fine-grained distribution system, so it's perfectly possible to imagine that your wine is not reaching the market uh, of uh, in certain countries where there are lots of consumers who would potentially wish to buy your wine. That's a bit of a shame. What happens in COVID, well, prior to COVID, it's not really too much of a problem. Uh, these wines are sought after and therefore they're sold through. They're sold through, particularly in the US, uh, in Italy itself, uh, throughout Europe, and, and the kind of places that uh, a Barolo producer will have an importer. Um, what happens in COVID, however, is it turns out that your importer in the US was furnishing the US restaurant sector with wine and the restaurant sector's closed. So that importer does not sell a single bottle of your wine during the COVID period. You realize that you have a problem. And that problem is relatively easily solved if you turn to La Place, because instead of having a single importer distributor, you have a pool of negociants, and each of those pool, that pool of each of those negociants within the pool rather, uh, has access to the restaurant sector, to uh, to wine shops, to retailers, to even supermarkets or, or what have you, the hotel sector as well, and, and indeed to private private buyers. And so what you have is what is what the Baudelaire called capillarity. Um, odd phrase but it's essentially the capacity to be able to find that demand and furnish that de- demand with, with with a bottle a tiny allocation from from within the overall allocation of the wine and that became very attractive that is very attractive in a sense and the smaller the producer the more attractive it is likely to be okay very interesting very clear now it sounds perfect but <laughs> i'm led to believe that it doesn't always work um, you've got this amazing uh, pool of people that can reach a global market in hours, and yet mm. some labels don't sell out. Why? What? What are the weaknesses? What? What? What do producers need to do to make sure it works? 
there's lots of factors here. I mean, for for a long time, and and again, um, in the period prior to the period that we're in today, this has tended to work very very well indeed. As uh, you talk about wine selling out within seconds, I mean, without minute, within minutes, within days, certainly that was very much the case. Um, but um, Bordeaux's negotiant system is based on selling Bordeaux wines. It's very good at reaching those bits of the market which which have the highest proportion of traditional Bordeaux buyers. Uh, but to return to my example of Barolo, the Barolo buyer is not necessarily the Bordeaux buyer. Uh, the Napa uh, California buyer is not necessarily the classic Bordeaux buyer. So when times were good, it was relatively easy for the negotiant to sell this wine through just relying on fairly conventional Bordeaux buyers. Essentially, the deal was that they could add a couple of cases of Napa, a couple of cases of Barolo to their order of uh, Bordeaux first growths, uh, Bordeaux class growths, Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classic, etc., etc. Uh, and that was sufficient to make it work, and indeed possibly to make it work in five minutes. So the the release of 2,000 bottles was gone immediately. Um, In more difficult market conditions, what we find is uh, that the negotiants have to work a little bit harder in order to sell the wine, and in fact their relationships, their networks, reach a certain kind of capillarity, but maybe not the capillarity that uh, the the Napa property or the Barolo um, uh, property would most have them touch in a way. So that that's that that's been that's been an issue. The other issue, I suppose, is also um, that in difficult market conditions and after. Uh, Bordeaux uh, on primeur campaigns which have not been well received by the market there's a certain amount of kind of Bordeaux bashing spillover that kind of spills over into war Bordeaux you become kind of guilty by association not necessarily guilty by association but the kind of if the if the if the consumer doesn't like the idea of La Place de Bordeaux then they might not also like the idea that by coming to La Place de Bordeaux uh, you retain your authenticity as a Bordeaux producer or a Napa producer whatever it might be so a poor on primeur campaign for bordeaux itself can have a negative effect on the or bordeaux the outside bordeaux campaign that then takes place in the autumn I, I mean, I, I think I think it can, and I think it has. Uh, there's a certain amount of spillover from the 2022 Bordeaux uh, um, um, on Bordeaux on Primeur campaign to this the September releases, as I as I suggested in some of my writing. Uh, we talk about a September campaign. This was more of a kind of autumn campaign because it kind of went on and it needed to go on because because not all of this wine was selling through. That said, I mean the 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 great factor here is the difficult market conditions. The market conditions have deteriorated since On Primo. On Primo 2022 didn't take place in good market conditions. The prices were not sufficiently favourable to interest many traditional Bordeaux buyers and in that sense the Bordeaux On Primo campaign was a bit of a flop. Uh, the September autumn uh, campaign for all Bordeaux took place in even more market, even more difficult market conditions and some wines worked very well, other, other wines worked Worked, uh, rather rather less well. There's another factor which is kind of interesting here, I think, which is that Bordeaux, partly by virtue of en primeur, is quite price sensitive. There's a lot of price signaling, there's a lot of price transparency. 
And as a consequence, demand in Bordeaux is quite sort of price sensitive. You don't get your release price right. People don't buy the wine. Um, or Bordeaux, so beyond Bordeaux wines, are in one sense less price sensitive. Why? Because they tend to come from the very upper echelons of the region in question. Uh, the bits of, I'm not saying they're equivalent to Petrus, but uh, the market for Petrus is not highly price sensitive, I suspect. Uh, the market for Masetto, I imagine, is not particularly uh, price sensitive either in a way. But coming to La Place produces price transparency. All these wines release at the same time and everyone knows the price. Um, and that does produce some similar kinds of effects. So it's kind of interesting to consider whether these wines now releasing on that price on that place will become more price sensitive, uh, as uh, the, and they will need to get their release prices right in order for them to work. Uh, so that's an interesting question, I think. So there is a risk there for an icon wine, a great estate outside Bordeaux that you could end up with unsold stock and a perception in the market that you're overpriced? I, I, absolutely. I, the price, I mean, and I think there's a second risk too, which is that one turns too quickly to the example of, or the examples of things like Masetto and says this always works very well. The logic is simple, which is that I was only accessing a fraction of the potential demand for my wine. Bordeaux can access more of the potential demand for my wine. Therefore, the price should go up. Therefore, I can increase the price on first release. That's not a good strategy. Um, Chateaus coming to La Place typically have to reduce their price on their first release and then see how the market reacts and build up that demand uh, over time, I think. And and sometimes, and maybe in the past, there has been a bit of a race towards uh, almost cashing in on the gain in capillarity, the increase in the capacity to service demand, uh, and that that hasn't worked terribly well. And if you if that doesn't work very well, then you're in a bit of a problem situation. Really, you it looks like you've kind of cut out uh, cut out the process. You've you you've jumped uh, to the conclusion. The conclusion being higher prices, and that 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 that's not very good reputationally either. I suspect. So is there a tranche system for outside Bordeaux for the autumn campaign like there would be for spring en primeur? There, there can be, but we're typically talking about very small releases. Uh, I mean, in a way, a tranche campaign, a tranche system is a is is more a way of dealing with higher volumes, or started as a way of dealing with higher volumes. And the volumes for most of these wines are relatively small. I mean, it's the other thing that perhaps needs to be remembered here, which is. Okay, there's a hundred wines, over a hundred wines released in the autumn campaign, but actually this is this is um, this is tiny quantity in comparison to en primeur. E- even in our en primeur campaign like 2022, in which not n- fewer than a hundred wines probably sold well, uh, but a hundred wines uh, on La Place in autumn is not kind of compensating for the for the absence of that in any significant way. Okay, the average price uh, of these wines is relatively high, but the quantities are tiny and therefore there isn't very much tranching if 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 that's a word (laughs) and and just a a last point on the on the risks or the weaknesses something that i've been told by producers about laplace people who've maybe struggled a little bit is that they've learned that it's a tool for distribution but not necessarily brand building what what are your feelings on that topic 
I think I think it can be, but I think that depends a little bit on the building of a strategy. I think uh, coming to Laplace simply because it solves some distribution and indeed logistical issues, and was another factor linked to COVID, that actually Border was very good at managing logistics during the COVID period and after the COVID period when, when logistics were very difficult to manage. There was a logistical advantage to selling through Laplace. Um, that's fine. So, so big tick for distribution and big tick for logistics. Um, but that doesn't obviate the need for a strategy about promoting the wine. And that's in one sense where the courtier is very, very, very important, I think, and different courtiers have different attitudes towards this, and properties need to work very closely with their courtier in order to ensure that they're presenting the wine in the right places, in the right way, uh, that if they retain some form of traditional distribution system for some markets, it doesn't get in the way of the Place de Bordeaux distribution system, which in some cases is only for certain regions. Uh, so Laplace often helps properties out in dealing with the Asian market, for instance. In other cases, I mean, Penfolds has just released or announced that it will release at the end of January a tranche of its, of its fantastic top-end wines. Um, but for the European, Middle Eastern and African markets alone. So, so Penfolds will continue to take care of the distribution in North America, in Australasia, uh, in Asia, for instance. Um, so, so Laplace has access to the distribution for, for just a handful of regions. It's very important in that situation that the property is not working against Laplace, that the two are working together. And that needs careful coordination, that needs a strategy, and that strategy needs to be managed collectively by the property on the one hand and by the courtier uh, in Bordeaux on the other hand, I think. There are examples of that working fantastically well. There are examples of that working less well, I think. The ones that are working well? Um, well, I think, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to kind of man, mention the names of individual properties, but I think some of the champagne houses uh, have done very well in this. And they're... they're, they're their situation is quite a specific one because typically they're talking about releasing a single cuvee of of tiny production, and yet they have uh, they manage themselves a distribution system often which touches hundreds of uh, hundred countries plus. So they, they have very good distribution system, but not necessarily for selling. Uh, a single uh, vineyard cuvee champagne. Um, uh, and so the question is how to manage that in such a way because you in, you annoy your distributor, your imported mm. distributor, the, the moment you say, sorry, you're not having your Clos des if you're uh, Champagne Philippona, uh, or Lanson, you're not having a Clos Lanson. Uh, you have to buy that from La Place. They, they get very irritated by that. So, so you need to be able to kind of manage that in such a way uh, as to make sure that doesn't do or doesn't doesn't cause uh, pro damage to the property and the property's reputation and so forth. And I think that's been very well managed in Champagne. Um, it's been well managed in some other regions too. It's but it's 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 complicated and it needs to be managed on a kind of property by property uh, property basis. Another another interesting example is actually Napa. Um, Napa, we're often talking about wines which are stratospherically expensive uh, and which, when they're good, and that's what we're talking about, we're talking about wines that are very good, that have the habit of selling out for stratospherically high prices at the cellar door in California. 
Um, so why would you come to the Laplace? Well, you want to come to Laplace because you don't want to sell out at the Chateau d'Or, at the property door in Napa. You want global reputation, which means that you want to hold back a certain amount of the distribution and offer it globally. But the problem is global buyers aren't necessarily prepared to pay the price that someone at the chateau at the property door in Napa might be prepared to pay it. So there's a sort of trade-off involved here. And that means, again, that you've actually got to think about reducing the price um, and you've got to think about how you, how you manage the relationship between what's going through Laplace and, and the U.S. stroke Californian market. So, so the strategy needs to be complex and it needs to relate to the specificity of the, uh, of the release situation. It's very different in different parts of the market. So I've decided that I want to work with Laplace um, I won't say who I am, but I could be <laughs> representing a fine wine uh, blend, Bordeaux blend from anywhere in the world. What is it that I need to do to convince the negotiants or rather what do the negotiants want to take me on? That's a, that's, that's, that's a good question. Well, firstly, you almost certainly need to convince the courtier to present the wine to the negotiant. And I think, and, and that, that in itself is interesting because there are examples of properties which don't have a pool of negotiant, they have a single negotiant. So they have an exclusive relationship, typically for a small number of bottles, or a small, or a cuvee, which is a small number of bottles. They have a relationship with a particular negotiant. That, again, in the good times worked very well. It works a little less well now for, for, for a variety of reasons. So I, I, I think in, your, in the hypothetical scenario you describe, the first person you need to be able to work with and to convince is, is the courtier. And then, in a sense, you need to choose the composition of your pool of negotiant. You might, uh, if you want, uh, if you want to specialise in Asian markets, for instance, you might want a different group of uh, of negotiant. Or if you want to specialise in the European market or, or the North American market, or whatever it might be, or Latin America, or, or wherever it might be. So there are those kind of choices. Um, and then you probably bring the wine to Bordeaux, uh, and your courtier arranges a tasting of the wine with. Than a, with a potential pool of negotiation or, or indeed a, a set of probably a set of single uh, appointments um, and then then it's a kind of interesting process because it is very much up to the negotiant and some negotiant like some wines and they like less some other wines. Um, in one sense there are, there, there, there are certain wines that are just going to work um, if you think about a new release uh, released uh, for the first time in November, uh, Marcus Molitor's Domen Serig um, uh, from the Saar, uh, everyone wanted that. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I, I mean, this is, I'm just. I'm just kind of projecting myself into their situation. I mean, you don't need to taste the wine. I mean, actually, if you taste the wine, you want it even more. But uh, but before tasting the wine, you know that's going to work. There's not very much of it. It's very high quality. It comes comes with Marcus Molitor uh, behind it. Uh, it's uh, and this is the first time it's ever been released. You probably want to be a negotiant in that pool. Uh, it's not terribly surprising. But there are other wines where it's very much the negotiant taste the wine. And you go, no, I'm not sure about that. Do we think it's going to work? I don't know, whatever. Um, and, and in that sense, it can be it can be slightly whimsical um, because the courtier 
I mean, the Kuti have an interesting kind of choice. In one sense, if Marcus Molitor comes to them, or they go to Marcus Molitor, and Marcus Molitor says, yes, how about this? They say, yes, 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 please. Um, but in a situation in which there's greater competition between the courtier and even the negociant now, there's, there's Bordeaux going to the properties. And some of them are identifying properties where the wine is a very high quality, but the reputation is not there yet. That's going to be a difficult sell. Others, the reputation is there, but maybe the wine quality isn't, isn't there. So there are kind of a variety of trade-offs here, and some things work better than others. And at the moment, when the, the market conditions are tougher, reputation is probably the, 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 key, the key thing here, actually. And Bordeaux, uh, Colin, when you mention um, reputation within that, how important is your role as a critic? Uh, um, well, that's interesting too. I think that is important. It's obviously very, very important if if the if the sell is this is a fabulous wine it's been selected for laplace the negotiant want it we're bringing it to laplace it's wonderful now that that helps you sell a wine but what helps even more is that plus critical acclaim i'm not necessarily my critical acclaim but the critical acclaim of people who count more than more than me so that that's that's important that's that, that that's very very important and again i think a part of the role of La Place de Bordeaux, and it's begun to become institutionalized now. It's the reason why there's a September campaign and why there's a March campaign. This is an opportunity to present the wine to the world and to present the wine to the critics as well. There are there are tastings, much like the Primeur tastings, at least for journalists and wine writers. Uh, we're invited to taste the wine. There the wine is presented to us. Um, but it's quite a challenge to taste these wines because they are very diverse. Um, I mean, I'm a. I mean, insofar when it comes to tasting, uh, uh, insofar as I'm a specialist, I'm a specialist on Bordeaux. Um, it's it's challenging uh, to have to assess uh, wines from from Napa, even if they're Bordeaux blends. Then they're, they're not exactly the same thing. Wines from Chile, wines from Argentina. Um, and wines from New Zealand, Australia, etc., etc. This is a this is a fantastic opportunity for someone like me. Um, but but actually, we're all in a situation in which we are tasting wines beyond not necessarily our comfort zone because it's very comfortable to taste these wines, but beyond areas of specialism um and i think that the can i mean i try to put make that very clear in my tasting notes i i kind of say look you should read i mean i pretty much say this all the time but you should read my tasting notes with a pinch of salt to some extent because uh, because in this case i'm a specialist on bordeaux i you might not regard me as a specialist on other regions and i may bring certain kind of preferences from bordeaux to my tasting of these these wines i think that applies i think that applies more generally and that means that there isn't a kind of easy solution to the kind of high points mean demand for the for for, for these wines there are certain tasters who have the capacity with authority to taste very broadly and very generally but i think the consumer uh, needs to follow in a sense uh, their guide to the region in question probably rather more so than than, than us in a way and with the expansion in number of producers coming to to La Plaza, have there been any surprises in the in the latest campaign? Um, I'm not sure. Surprises. I think. 
I think it came as a surprise to some of the producers themselves that this campaign was so much more difficult than previous ones. And that, I think, is another factor in all of this, that that actually the feedback from the market to Bordeaux through Laplace is very immediate. And that means that you pick up the condition of the market very, very quickly indeed. And it surprised people, as it were, how much more difficult to sell the wines were this release than the same wines were, often in less good vintages, the previous release, basically. So it's the market conditions that you, you really see the deterioration of the market conditions. And indeed, it's kind of interesting because I think that that clarity and transparency about the decline in market conditions will be very significant for attitudes towards Bordeaux 2023 release prices. There's a big conversation at the moment going on in Bordeaux about what the 2023 release prices should be. And one of the reasons for that is the anxiety which spills over from the autumn uh, or Bordeaux campaign. And that, 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 that's, kind of, that's kind of interesting. Um, so I think that was, I mean, I'm not saying it was a surprise to me. It was, a, I mean, it was something I talked about right from the beginning before any prices were set. This is going to be tough and it's going to be the first time it's been tough. So it's going to be interesting to see what transpires. It probably turned out to be even tougher than I imagined it might have proved. Um, and that's in part because some of the more optimistic arguments economically that this was just about um, the uh, about uh, the euro in particular being slightly overvalued against your uh, Asian currencies in particular, and that would recalibrate later and demand would wash back into the system or whatever. That, that, that hasn't really happened. The economic conditions have probably deteriorated further. Um, but I, I think those were the... Um, so that was the first surprise. The second surprise, I think, is just the number of but it's, this is a good thing, the number of high-quality releases uh, or high-quality wines that continue to come to Laplace. I think Penfold's announcement that it would add to BIN 169, which has been on Laplace for three years now, it would add Grange, bring Grange to Laplace, BIN 707, Yatana, uh, a portfolio of its top releases to Laplace in these difficult market conditions, albeit for Europe, uh, the Middle East and Africa alone. But I mean, that was the situation for BIM 169, I, I think. Um, that's that that's big, big news. And it's confirmation that this is seen to work. Similarly, uh, Marcus Molitor's uh, Domain Seri uh, releases big news too. Um, it's, 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 things continue to move in the direction of the consolidation of all of this. The final thing, which was maybe a surprise to me, actually, was the way in which London now seems to have accepted the calendar of the September and March releases. Um, and really, for the first time, we saw a lot of, uh, of La Place de Londres, as it's sometimes called, the London, the, the, the La Place of London, the, the London Brokers Negation, if you like, um, giving offers to their private clients in much the same way they do for En Primeur. And I, I, thought, I thought that was interesting. So we, we've seen a kind of the institutionalization of this as a market alongside En Primeur, 
we see that also with the tastings I was talking about, the way in which uh, which critics and wine writers are are invited to Bordeaux to taste these wines each year. That's very much like on Primer uh, on, on Primer too. So it's been institutionalised relatively rapidly, even in difficult market conditions. So the concern that has been raised perhaps from outsiders, that the expansion in the number of releases from outside Bordeaux could dilute the success for those early adopters is, 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 a, is not correct? Um, well, it's complicated that. I think it is probably fair to say that there are a number of wines which are not succeeding through, through Laplace. Um, Partly because, as we talked about earlier, the negotiations' manner of selling these wines works better for uh, for wines which are closer in terms of how they're consumed, how they're bought, uh, to wines of Bordeaux. So the, there can be a bit of a kind of mismatch between the kind of standard operating procedures of La Place and what would be required to sell sell a particular wine. So of the 100 wines or so, there's probably 20 or 30 which don't work fantastically well, particularly in difficult market conditions. But then the, the counterfactual becomes the question, would they do better in traditional with a traditional import distribution system and indeed would they be in on Laplace in the first place if they worked very well through the traditional import and distributor system so it might well be that actually they're selling better than they would uh, even if they don't work fantastically well now it's not good for Laplace to be struggling to sell those wines in difficult market conditions but it may not be terrible for the producer because it might actually be better than it otherwise be the other point which is interesting here is if you have a traditional importer distributor model then your importer carries on taking the allocation each year until they can't sell one or two consecutive ones so actually the the price or not so much the price but the feedback information the market feedback information to the property comes a year or two years down the line whereas the the, the, the information is much more rapidly communicated through Laplace. So, so there are some properties that aren't very happy about having sold a smaller proportion of the wine they brought to the market this year than they did last year. Um, but actually, if they were doing this themselves, the likelihood is they might have sold a bit more this year, but they would sell a lot less next year. Uh, so it's a little bit difficult to kind of test that. But yes, there are two. There, it's not so much there are too many wines, but there are some wines that don't work fantastically well. I think there is plenty of place for more wine, but only if the properties are of sufficient quality uh, and reputation uh, to, to, to work, and particularly in difficult market conditions. So just lastly, you may have answered this, but you described on the drinksbusiness.com this latest campaign, the autumn campaign, uh, as a wake-up call for Bordeaux. Um, why did you call it that? What did you mean by that? Well, I think what I meant by that was that La Place de Bordeaux has a capacity to find capillarity which is unprecedented. So, in theory, La Place de Bordeaux is the best mechanism that I can think of of putting a bottle of a particular wine in the hands of a consumer anywhere in the world who wants to buy it. In practice, it doesn't always work out that way, 
because, as I've suggested, the, the, the networks that Bordeaux has established were established to sell Bordeaux wines. And the less like a Bordeaux wine the wine is that they're now selling, the more those networks need to be reworked and reconstituted, or at least added to. And in easy market conditions, there's very little incentive to do that. And then along come difficult market conditions, and actually there's less resource to do that. So the negotiator are in a situation in which if they've if they've bought an allocation of a wine that they haven't sold through, they can either sit on it, but with the cost of capital being higher than it used to be, they don't particularly want to do that. But at the same time, they don't necessarily want to invest in a new distribution strategy for, for, a, for a single wine or for wines from that, that region, which might also be costly. Um, so in a sense, we have a system which is working was working very well, is now working reasonably well, stroke less well, and the question is whether the negociants are going to change their modus operandi in order to be able to better find that capillarity in the darker corners of markets that they're less used to servicing. Can you think of any changes that they could make or might want to make or should make? Well, I think they need to work, as it were, through the courtier once again with the property to say, well, who were you selling to? How do you view your market? Um, and how can we internalize that, given that we have the capacity to put negos, individual sellers, in those markets? Where should we be going? And I think it's about working together, actually. Um, and to some extent, I think the problem has been that the negotiants have typically said to properties, we've got all the solutions. We know how to do this and you should be coming to us because we know how to do it. So give us the responsibility for doing this and we will do it ourselves. When in fact, a better strategy would have been to say, we have the capacity to do this very well and very effectively, but we need you to help us do that. You have the knowledge of your market. So essentially, the question to a small producer was, if you had infinite amounts of resource, how, well, not infinite amounts of resource, but a lot more resource than you have at the moment, how would you deploy that resource in order to be able to better access demand for the wine that you produce? The negotiator need to pose that question, respond to that question, and then build a strategy for the property, I think. And if they were to do that, we would see wines from regions which are less like Bordeaux sell better through Laplace. Okay, interesting. And just a couple of last things, Colin. So Bordeaux is the home to a very powerful distribution system that is not replicated, I believe, anywhere else. Could it be? Could another wine region or wine hub create its own place? Um... It could, though the opportunity costs of constructing it, as economists would put it, are very high. Mm. So it's it's kind of you can get there, but you can't get there from here, kind of kind of thing. Um, that's not quite true, because but it, but but I'd have to slightly modify one of the assumptions in your questions because you assumed that this was from a wine producing region. And it strikes me that the only place that is capable of producing something equivalent, and to some extent already has something equivalent, is London which, I mean, okay, there's more 
wine production in the UK. I'm, I, let, let, let me not offend anyone in the UK by suggesting that the UK is not a, a wine producing region. But but it's not because of its wine production that London is, despite its wine production, that London is in a position uh, to do something equivalent. But it's a little bit more difficult after Brexit too. And in one sense, the kind of post-Brexit scenario, I think, has eventually resulted in a kind of clarification of the of roles and responsibilities between La Place de Londres, if you like, the, the London uh, network, or London-based network, because it's not just in London, uh, and the Bordeaux-based uh, based network. They actually work really very effectively uh, together. And were it not for London brokers and merchants, I think La Place de Bordeaux would be much less effective in selling both Bordeaux and indeed all, all Bordeaux wines. But what you need is infrastructure, what you need is resources, what you need is storage capacity, and perhaps the capacity to move storage between different regions. And a lot of the London trade uh, now doesn't store all of its wine in London, and that gives it a kind of capacity to do something equivalent to what La Place de Bordeaux does, but at one step remove. Okay, thank you. Very interesting. So, a last thing, Colin, and I, and you bring in the topic of Brexit. You often tease us with it in your columns, <laughs> yes. and then say for another discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but but on that, has it been beneficial or a hindrance? Uh, I think. I mean, if I'd given a fuller answer to your question about what are the reasons for the expansion of all Bordeaux, I think Brexit is one of the reasons for that. Because I think, I mean, we've talked a fair bit about a kind of hypothetical Barolo producer, but I think a Barolo producer in until relatively recently would have probably seen London as the best way to access the global market. Now, I'm not saying lots of Barolo producers have come to Laplace, but I think the conversation has changed and some of them at least have decided that actually coming to Laplace de Bordeaux rather than London, and then in fact making London buy the wine through Laplace de Bordeaux is a better mechanism uh, for, for, for global distribution. Um, Brexit, I mean, it's very difficult to be in totally clear about the effects of Brexit. But one of the things is um, exchange rate volatility. I think that's a kind of big issue. Uh, And also, clearly, it's made questions of distribution and logistics much more complicated than they would have previously been. They've been very, very well managed by La Place de Londres. uh, But but La Place de Londres has had to invest an awful lot of resource and investment in managing those logistical questions, which have been very, very much more easily resolved, I think, uh, in and through Bordeaux. So when you're talking about distribution and when you're talking about logistics, uh, Brexit has contributed towards, as it were, the competitive advantage uh, that La Place de Bordeaux has vis-à-vis London. And I think that's been significant in the evolution of Or Bordeaux and the bringing of more Or Bordeaux uh, to, uh, to, to La Place. Uh, and a final point on that, which is kind of interesting, is Penfolds itself. Penfolds in Europe, the Middle East and Africa is based in London, 
uh, offices are in London, uh, but the wine is, 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 is distributed not through London primarily, but instead through, through La Place now from, from, from the end of January. I think, I think that says quite a lot. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that if you were to ask them whether Brexit was important, they would say it was, but I suspect it's one of the background factors in all of this. Thank you. So my last question then, looking at everything we've discussed, have we reached peak or Bordeaux or is there still room for growth? I think there is still room for growth. Um, I think the market will change. I think it always changes. I mean, in fact, even in this period, which has been difficult, it's a short period, but it's been difficult. And it's probably likely to continue to be difficult in my judgment, something we might talk about another, on another occasion. Um, but even in that, we see things like Penfolds coming to Laplace. We see Domaine Serig releasing. Uh, we see 20 new wines released uh, in the autumn campaign and, and September releases, which become the autumn campaign um, in comparison to last year. So there's, an ex- there's a continued expansion in the number of wines. Now it's true that difficult market conditions are putting off some releases. There may be some releases which have been held back by virtue of this. But on the other hand, traditional importer distributor models are quite complicated too. So there might be an incentive to bring them to the place. So there's a little bit of that. But I do think we will see continued growth. And why? Because I think the difficult market conditions pose questions to producers in a number of regions to which La Place de Bordeaux might be a solution. I think we will see more top-end champagne. I'm almost certain about that. Um, I think we might see, but this would be very interesting were it to happen, we might see really for the first time top-end Burgundy. It would be a major breakthrough if that were to happen. Burgundy and Bordeaux just don't work together, basically. But it does strike me that with the speculative bubble being taken off uh, the Burgundy market, um, some Burgundy producers are likely to think that a better distribution and logistics system for their top-end wines might well be beneficial for them. The question is whether anyone will jump and and whether they will do so sooner or later. Um, I think we will continue to see more wines from Australia, top-end wines from Australia, and we will continue, perhaps following Penfolds, actually, but but some may well monitor how Penfolds, what happens over the next few few years before we get to that. And I think we will see more wines from California and possibly more from Sonoma. We've had them largely from Napa up until now, but we might see a bit of a diversification of that. Oregon, perhaps too, actually. We saw the first wine from Oregon released on La Place uh, uh, recently, and I think we might see more more from there. So, So yes, I expect this to continue to grow, maybe not at the rate that it has recently grown, and maybe with some casualties. But I think there's a number of courtier and negociant who think that actually if there were some wines that were removed from La Place's offering that actually that might not necessarily be a bad thing um, so we'll see that, I mean that said it's a difficult choice to make having made the decision to jump to La Place to jump back uh, does all kinds of reputational damage to a property and I think actually it's a difficult choice to make so we shouldn't overemphasize the the likelihood of that Thank you, Colin. Very interesting, useful set of forecasts. And how surprising to hear that the current economic turmoil should actually help rather than 
Hinder Laplace. And I think what? most surprising <laughs> of, of all is that yeah. Burgundy may soon be coming to Bordeaux. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. For more comment and analysis from Colin on Bordeaux, be it market trends or tasting notes, please visit thedrinksbusiness.com.